back, and thank you for listening to Trekker Talk, a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of 23rd century bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the pages of Trekker Comics by creator, writer, and artist Ron Randall. I'm Darren. And I'm Ruth. This is a fan podcast. We're not affiliated with Ron Randall, and the opinions expressed are just ours. We do this podcast simply because we always enjoy reading and talking about Trekker and any of Ron Randall's other comics. Please consider visiting trekkercomic.com. That's Ron Randall's official site dedicated to Mercy St. Clair. It features a new page of Trekker material each Monday, where the Chapeltown storyline is currently in progress. It's a fun sci-fi adventure with a retro western feel. Definitely worth checking out. There you will see links to all the ways to follow Ron Randall on social media, including Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. TrekkerComic.com also has a link to his Patreon page where you can donate to help support the creation of brand new Trekker material if you want. For a small monthly donation, you get an early look at each week's page, along with a behind-the-scenes look at the development of the page. As a Patreon, you can also get PDF copies of the various Trekker stories, and of course the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping to support new Trekker material. Ron Randall recently posted a list of the conventions he's planning to attend this year, including Denver Comic Con in June and Rose City Comic Con in September. If you're attending either of those conventions, be sure to stop by his table. He is very kind and always happy to talk to his fans. His selection of prints is great, and his con sketches are simply amazing. You may even get a chance to meet Scuff while you're there. I'm sure that both Cullen Stapleton and Dave Cote can attest to that. Cullen recently saw Ron at Emerald City Comic Con, and Dave saw him at Calgary Comic Expo. And while we're talking about conventions, we just want to mention that we will be attending Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, the weekend of June 17 through 19. While Ron Randall won't be there, if there are any other Trekker fans out there who plan to attend, please let us know in advance, and we'll be sure to have a Mercy meetup during the weekend. During this podcast, we'll sometimes refer to page numbers related to the story, especially when we're taking a close look at the art. Trekker has been published in many formats over the years. Before our references, we use the page numbers from the Trekker Omnibus. This collection was published in 2013. It includes all of the Trekker material up to that point in time. It's available in a printed trade paperback, or you can get a digital copy from Comixology or the Dark Horse Comics app, as well as from the Amazon Kindle store. And if you do own the books on a digital platform, please consider taking a moment to rate the books. By doing so, you just might help encourage new readers to give the series a try. In this episode, we'll be covering the story Mercy Killing, which was featured in A Decade of Dark Horse, Volume 2, in 1996. And later in the episode, we'll share some great comments and feedback we've received since last time. And we have a special musical surprise at the end of the episode, so be sure to stay tuned for that. I believe the show is more fun for everyone when we hear from you. We really enjoy sharing your comments, so please write in and let us know what you think. Tell us how you discovered Trekker. What do you like best about New Gallif? What are your favorite stories? What pages and panels do you like best? And of course, feel free to point out anything we've missed. You're certainly welcome to share your opinion on any aspect of the books. So stop by trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media connections, or send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com, and we'll include your comments in a future episode. Mercy Killing is an eight-page story that was published in August 1996, in A Decade of Dark Horse, Volume 2. The story appears in the Trekker Omnibus from pages 289 through 296. The story is written and illustrated by Ron Randall. Colors are by Carrie Porter and Ron Randall. Letters are by Steve Dutro. I believe this is the only Trekker story that doesn't feature a cover in either the original publication or in the Omnibus. Our story fades in on a dark and frightening scene. 
A man holding a large and unique-looking knife stares down at a woman who is tied to a chair. There is a dead body in another chair and two more bodies on the floor. Blood is everywhere. There is sheer terror on the woman's face as the large knife swings toward her. It's just after 3 a.m. when Mercy arrives at the crime scene after her uncle Alex called her in for assistance. This is the fourth multiple victim crime in the last month with no apparent connection or pattern. Mercy comments that it's even a bigger mess this time. She thinks the killer doesn't believe he's getting the proper amount of attention from the police. Alex feels just the opposite. He has his officers working double and triple shifts trying to search for leads. Mercy knows her uncle is desperate for help. Otherwise, he would never openly bring in a trekker for assistance. Most of the police don't care for licensed bounty hunters. Mercy studies the crime scene intently, trying to take in every detail. She hopes one of her street contacts will recognize someone's style. The killer sits in a barren and run-down room. A single wooden chair and table are the only furniture in the room. Plaster is falling from the walls. He's tossing his large knife toward the wall as if he's using it for target practice. He remembers being disowned by his family, being turned down by the girl he liked, being fired from his job at a packing company because he seemed to enjoy making a mess when he was cutting up the meat. He's thinking to himself that he has no family, no friends, no one has time for him. He thinks to himself that even the cops ignore him. He decides it's time to find some more company. Mercy doesn't feel she has the time. Every moment counts. But her friend Molly insists that she meets her at a cafe for a quick breakfast. She has to eat. She has 10 minutes before she meets her next contact. She has just enough time to finish her Bavarian roll. Mercy has been asking around about the specific types of wounds on the victims. They're very different from the typical knife wounds she's seen in the past. And she can tell from the various crime scenes that the killer enjoys inflicting pain. Molly tries to steer the conversation back to more pleasant topics, even if just for a few moments. She wants to know how things are going with Paul. Things aren't going at all, Mercy tells her. She and Paul are too different. He needs some light in his life, and Mercy is just too dark and too hard. As she says, she can't turn off the street when the two of them are together. Molly counters, saying that while Mercy's work might be dark and hard, she knows better. She knows that isn't what Mercy's like on the inside. Mercy calls Molly a dangerous eccentric as she runs off to meet her next contact. The killer has found his so-called company. He has another family tied to chairs. Father, mother, a young boy, and a young girl. The killer is frustrated as he brandishes the large knife in front of the father, but the man shows no fear. Instead, he calls the killer a coward and a weakling. Then the killer turns to the young girl, putting the knife against her neck. Ellie, the father calls out as fear rushes over his face, and the killer starts to smile. Just then, Mercy St. Clair crashes through the window, knocking the killer off balance. She has finally pieced together enough information to learn about a man who has been seen skulking in the shadows on the streets, and who always carries a large and unique cleaver. Mercy has even learned his name, and as she pulls out her gun, she says, End of the line, Eddie. But Eddie now has pulled out a gun of his own and has it aimed at the young boy. Drop it, Trekker, he says. But Mercy has no patience for this killer and fires her gun. Her shot rips through Eddie's elbow, making his arm useless and causing him to drop his gun. Eddie runs away and Mercy pauses just long enough to make sure all four members of the family are safe. The father tells her to be careful because the killer has another gun. He'll need it, Mercy says as she runs off after Eddie. Eddie has managed to make it down several flights of stairs, but is losing lots of blood. He collapses in a dark storage room. 
The bright light from the hallway streams into the room. He starts to raise his gun as he sees a shadowy figure that is backlit by the bright light in the hallway. A cape flutters behind the figure like giant wings. Eddie thinks to himself that it looks like an angel of mercy. Then he realizes it's a dark angel of mercy. He sees the flash of two gun barrels and then everything goes dark. This was the first Trekker story after a six-year break, and it isn't the typical Trekker story. It's quite a bit darker and doesn't have as many sci-fi elements as usual, but it's definitely gripping and fast-paced, so you're on the edge of your seat anxiously hoping that Mercy will solve the crime quickly. The story actually feels a bit like what is called a bottle episode of a television series. That's when an episode of a show is filmed using only a few existing sets and using minimal guest stars. It's a way for a production company to spend less money on one episode of a show so they can then spend more money on another episode when they need to build new, more elaborate sets or when they need to spend more money on special effects. And for those of you who like a little trivia, the origin of the term bottle episode comes from the classic original Star Trek series, a favorite of mine. Of course, other shows had done the same thing in the past, but Star Trek became known for using the technique effectively and for inventing the term. That's sort of what Ron Randall did here. He only had a few pages to tell his story, so he wisely told a smaller and more compact story that takes place only on the familiar streets of New Gellif. We get only one brief scene each with Uncle Alex and Molly, and Paul is only mentioned in the story. We don't actually see him. Ron Randall also tells us everything we need to know about Eddie's history in a brief montage that takes up less than a third of a page. It was all an excellent way to keep the story focused and moving forward, and because of that it feels like a fully realized and complete story, even though it's only a third of the length of a typical Trekker issue. He really made effective use of every panel he had to tell his story. The story is beautifully illustrated as well. We are used to seeing Ron Randall credited for the writing and the art, but here he's also credited as working on the colors with Carrie Porter. Of course, for the last few years that he's been publishing new Trekker stories online, Ron Randall has also been coloring those new issues himself with some assistance from studio mate Cap Ferris, who does the web comic The Last Diplomat. I also like the way the story opened with a single solid black panel and ended on a single solid black panel. A nice bookend effect to the whole story. Now let's take a few minutes to talk about our favorite pages and panels. Ruth, what were some of your favorite pages? I know this story had a short page count, but it was still tough for me to narrow down my list of favorites. Let me start with the very first page. I chose it because the art and design make it look so scary. The first and last panel on the page are black, with only captions or word balloons showing. Then when the killer flicks his lighter, we only see shades of gold from the flame combined with the black from the surrounding darkness and shadows. Really like that effect there. Then we get to see the horrible knife that he's about to use on this next victim. It was all so effective. I was eager to turn the page so I could find out how Mercy would get the killer off the streets. Now turn to page 294 next. Okay. I felt that the small panels and close-ups of the child are used effectively to build up the intensity of the situation, and the final panel that takes up more than a third of the page there is exciting. It's where Mercy crashes through the window and tackles the killer and knocks the little girl out of his arms. Shards of glass are flying everywhere, and the motion is captured perfectly. Mercy's purple cape trails behind her, and you can see how she protected her face with her arms. Yes, I love that. Now for my top pick... Turn back just one page to 293. Okay, this is the page showing Mercy and Molly talking over breakfast at the outdoor cafe. You get a few different views of their location on the city block. 
There's a distant establishing shot and an aerial view and, of course, a close-up at the table. I like cityscapes, so all of that appealed to me. The expression on Mercy's face is drawn very well on the panel in the top right corner. She's so serious and trying to puzzle out the clues of the case. All of that concentration and effort and desire to capture the bad guy really shows. Yes, I know. I agree. So for me, let's go to page 291. That's my runner-up favorite page. Okay, I've got it. It's the examination of the crime scene. I like the way Mercy really pops off the page in her bright costume while the police are all dressed in drab clothing. It's a nice artistic way to set her apart from the police visually, just as she is set apart from the police just by the nature of being a trekker. I like Mercy's confident body language on the page. Although the cops don't like her being there, she looks very commanding and like she naturally belongs there. I also like the bottom left part of the page that features Mercy's face in shadows, and the bottom right corner shows Mercy taking in all of the details of the crime scene. And flipping over just a couple of pages to page 293, that's my winning page. Oh, wow. <laughs> just like you. Again, that's the page where Mercy and Molly are having breakfast. It's a moment of bright light in this otherwise dark story. We've talked in the past about how Ron Randalls is able to make pages that feature mostly talking heads feel much more dynamic than most artists, and here's another perfect example. We get a variety of panel sizes, a mixture of close-ups and distance shots, including one that's from so far overhead that we're looking past a couple of skimmers down under the tops of the umbrellas of the outdoor cafe. It's a gorgeous page, and it isn't surprising that we both chose it. I'm glad we did. It was interesting to hear some of your thoughts in contrast to mine of what we picked out that we like best on that page. Yes. Now let's look at a few of the outstanding panels. Let's turn to page 295. Okay. See the middle panel on the right. There I love the dynamic action of the injured killer shoving a hostage into Mercy so he can make his escape. She's knocked off balance. And if you look closely, you can see how her feet are slipping forward as she is in mid-fall and that she will land on some broken glass. I'm glad you pointed that out. I've missed that. Dangerous situation. Another favorite is the very next panel on the very same page. The perspective is just right, showing the scene from Mercy's point of view. It's the exact moment that she landed from the fall and immediately fires her weapon at the killer as he runs off into the distance. And my favorite panel is on page 293. Now, I know Brian Mulvey will probably chuckle when I point out the lovely panel with the silhouette view of the diners. He has commented before that he's figured out my pattern of often choosing silhouette scenes as favorites. I think he knows me too well. I think so. Well, that will all make it very easy because from your page 293, we can actually just move forward in the story for my favorite panels. So let's start on page 294 at the bottom. That's the great panel of Mercy crashing through the window near the end of the story. And of course, you commented on it when you were talking about your favorite page. Yes. This panel is another example of the amazing way Ron Randall captures movement in a still drawing. You can feel Mercy's movement as she knocks down Eddie while glass is flying all around her. Then my runner-up panel is on the next page, 295, on the bottom right. Okay. It features an extreme close-up where you basically just see one of Mercy's eyes and the barrel of her gun. You easily get the imagery of both her eye and the gun being focused on the single purpose of taking down Eddie. And my favorite panel is on the very next page, 296 on the bottom right. That's the panel of the Dark Angel of Mercy with the two muzzle blasts. While I love those other two panels, I think this one won me over because I'm a sucker for that iconic muzzle blast image of Mercy. And in this instance, Ron Randall does something different with that image by having Mercy all in shadows. I really loved it. 
I do too. It is gorgeous. It's time for Who's Who, when we talk about significant characters from the stories and get to know them a little better. We don't look ahead because we don't want to spoil the stories for anyone reading them for the first time. That means we'll revisit characters over time as we learn more things about them. Mercy St. Clair is a bounty hunter known as a trekker. She lives in Antari Alley, which is a bad part of New Gellif. She spends most of her money on weapons for her job and food for her pet scuff, which is a dox, which is a cross between a dog and a fox. Alex St. Clair is Mercy's uncle and a lieutenant in the police force. The police and trekkers don't generally like each other, but these two definitely care for each other and sometimes collaborate on cases, just like in this story. Molly Sundowner is a local shopkeeper and Mercy's best friend. She takes care of Scuff when Mercy is away and is generous to a fault. Paul Clemens is a police officer who works in the same precinct as Uncle Alex. Paul's trying to build a relationship with Mercy, but things haven't been going well, as Mercy tells Molly in this story. Next up is Trekker Transmissions, where we share the listener feedback we've received since last time. We sincerely appreciate every message we receive and truly believe they add immeasurably to the show. So a big thank you to everyone who took the time to write in. Brian Mulvey shared that it's easy to write comments when we start with Ron's wonderful stories and then have the Trekker twosome getting the dialogue going with heartfelt podcasts. Thank you, Brian. Regarding the last story, Thicker Than Blood, Brian Mulvey commented that perhaps Ron may have known it would be the last one for quite some time because he pulled out all the artistic storytelling stops. Fast-paced, action-packed, with mercy in and out of danger several times, he certainly laid it out all on the easel. But with all that action, my second favorite panel is on page 277, where Mercy is holstering her sidearm with Scuff staring adoringly up at his bounty-hunting master. My favorite is the gorgeous close-up of our heroine on page 281, Lovely Indeed. The story being in black and white served to enhance the art rather than detract, an example of the creator really firing on all cylinders. Wait a minute, I believe you left out one of Brian's comments when he said, By the way, Ruth, are you sure you're done? Well, yes, that's a reference to me rambling on for quite a while last episode. And actually, I'm sure I could think of more to say, especially about Johnny Clegg or the Princess Bride. That's just being honest. And John Baker let us know he enjoyed the latest episode, saying, Always an entertaining time. Thanks for your good work and effort. No more rhymes now. I mean it. To which we had to say, Anybody want a peanut? And much to my delight, the Princess Bride quotes kept coming from John for quite a while. Plus, John Baker continues to come up with some clever Mercy Monday tweets, and we love it when his sister Ruth Reese joins in with her comments as well. Clinton Robison of the Coffee and Comics blog wrote in after purchasing the Trekker Omnibus to say, Just to let you two know, I finished the first Trekker story. What can I say? I'm hooked. I can easily understand the love now. It's not just Randall's art. The story is great. Mercy is large and in charge. She's sexy without being cheesecake. But I'm not telling you two anything new. This woman deserves a movie, he continued. She and Uncle Alex could easily fit into a movie that has the look and feel of Blade Runner. Can't wait to dive into Smuggler's Blues. I just know I want more Molly and Scuff. Best supporting cast I've seen in ages. Clinton followed up later saying, Probably sounding like a broken record here, but still loving Trekker. Just finish The Trail to Scarman's Burn. And I was amazed at how easily Ron Randall shifted the feel from retro future, as Darren calls it, love that description, by the way. Thank you, Clinton. To something akin to a space western. 
These stories are just amazing, and Mercy looked adorable in what would have been her date outfit before getting the lead on her bounty. Scarman's burn is definitely a favorite of mine, Clinton continues. I'm trying to read a story, listen to the podcast, repeat. It's nice seeing what we liked in common. Well, thank you, Clinton, for those enthusiastic emails. We sincerely appreciated them. Change in the Air saw our post on the cover of Thicker Than Blood and retweeted it, tagging singer Jane Weedlin, which was exciting to us because we're fans of both her work with the Go-Go's and her solo work, and we know she is also a sci-fi fan. In fact, she created a comic with Bill Morrison called Lady Robotica, which we've read and really enjoyed. It's a fun sci-fi comic about a singer and guitarist who is part robot. We really loved it, but sadly, it only lasted a few issues. However, she hopes to turn it into a musical. So, we hope Lady Robotica Space Opera will eventually make it to stage. Joe Crawford of the Non-Discerning Readers blog let us know that he finished The Train to Avalon Bay over coffee. He really enjoyed it and called it another great story by Ron Randall. That really made our day, and it's one of my favorite Trekker stories, and it won't be long before it comes up in sequence for us to cover on the show. Mark Sweeney of I'm the Gun blog and podcast gave us a nice shout-out in one of his latest episodes. His show is a real favorite of ours, and we highly recommend that everyone give it a try. He covers a wide variety of titles, and we want to particularly recommend a couple of recent episodes focused on strong female characters who are also air fighters. One episode was devoted to the excellent Valkyrie miniseries from 1987, while another covered the origins of Lady Blackhawk. Great job, Mark. We saw several positive comments about the new outfit Mercy is wearing in the current Chapeltown story including one from Dr. G of the Pulp to Pixel podcast. He said, I really like the padding effect on the shoulders. It reminds me of the Viper pilot jackets from Battlestar Galactica. And of course, fans can check out that new outfit at trekkercomic.com. We want to extend our Trekker thanks to everyone who supported us on social media since last episode. These are people who liked or shared posts from us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. Your support helps draw attention to the podcast, and best of all, helps to spread the word about the Trekker series. And please consider leaving an iTunes review. It could really help make the show easier to find in searches. Before we start, let me say if we miss a name, please let us know, and we'll correct it in the next episode. And also forgive us if we mispronounce your name. Just email us and let us know. We'd be happy to correct that next time as well. Aaron Scott. Alexander Didymus. Ange of the Supergirl Comic Box Commentary Blog, Ashford of Feathers and Foes and Straight Out of Gallifrey, BC Fan 101, Bob Rankin, Brad Guthrie, Brian Mulvey, Captain Marvel, Carlos Raphael, Chris Dingsdale, Clinton Robinson of the Coffee and Comics Blog, Comics in the Golden Age, Cullen Stapleton of The World's Worst Podcast Ever, Dale Russell, Dan O'Connor, David Joel, David Pascarella, Doug Dorr, Dr. G. Man of Nerdology of the Pulp to Pixel podcast, Ed Terry and Nick Moore of Teal Productions, Gene Hendricks of The Hammer Strikes, Ivan Henley, Jeff Messer of the Geek Brain podcast, Jeremy Colwell, Colorist Du Jour, Joe Crawford of For the Non-Discerning Readers blog, John Baker, Jarrell Lonesome, Karim Ahmed Hamden, Karen Williams of Between the Pages, Kyle Binning of the Superman Captain Marvel Power Hour, Lamont Roberts, Lance Barnett, Lori Parker, Martin Gray of the Too Dangerous blog, Michael Chen, Michael Lane, Nick Capone, PJ Kilgannon, Professor Allen of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network, Ralph Tidings, Richard Williams, Rob Kelly from the Film and Water podcast, Rob Lance, 
Rolled Spine podcast. Ron and Lynn Randall, thank you both so much. Ruth Reese, Ryan Daly of Secret Origins and many other podcasts. Scott Eos, Shag Matthews, also known as Firestorm Fan. Siskoid of Siskoid's Blog of Geekery. Taurus Hill, Terry Miller, Thomas Reed, Tony Greenall, Vincent Hillard, Warren Montgomery of Will Lil Comics, Will Polk, and William Harris. It's time for the Trekker Toast Award, where we recognize someone who has gone above and beyond in supporting Trekker Talk. This is someone who discovered our show very early on and quickly became one of our biggest supporters. He regularly likes and shares both our tweets and Facebook posts. After listening for several episodes, he fell in love with Trekker himself and recently bought the Omnibus and started back over at the beginning of the show so he could read along while listening to the episodes. He frequently leaves comments for us and has promoted our show on his own excellent blog. So we lift our glasses and give a thankful Trekker toast to Clinton Robison. Congratulations, Clinton. We sincerely appreciate all of your encouragement and support. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you, Clinton. And we'll be back after we play a couple of promos for other podcasts that you might enjoy. All I wanted was to send a signal to Mars. How how could I have known it would teleport you here? Whoever you are, forgive me. An alien, an innocent one, stranded on this planet. It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. White Martians came from beneath the planet's surface, bringing fire from the planet's guts, and they burned us all. Every trace of our once great civilization was obliterated. I lost my family, my wife, my daughters. I was the only survivor, the last of my kind. I sought refuge on your planet, on Earth. I was hunted for 50 years. The humans are terrified of what they don't know. And sadly, I happen to fall into that category. Detective John Jones is what you might call my human alter ego. I'm not the only thing from outer space that's come, but right now, I'm the only thing that can stop alien invasion. I dealt with these phantoms when I was a bounty hunter. I know how powerful they can be. I can't fight these fugitives alone. My name is John Jones. Also known as the Martian Manhunter. Leader of the Justice League. Telepathy is one of my many abilities. I am a shapeshifter. Martian manpower? Flight. I change my state or phase. I'll call upon new powers. I'm Mars' sole survivor. There's a reason for that. I will defend Earth. The Vital Head of Tiavanu, a podcast for John Jonas, Manhunter from Mars, his world, and the vile menagerie of villains he must confront. Available through iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Hey, Gene, we should do a podcast. Sounds like a great idea, Jeff, but what will we talk about? How about a superhero that we both love? Perfect. Something like Thor or Captain America? Uh, Both great choices, but um, I think they're being covered by somebody else already. Wait, I've got it. What about the protector of the universe? Like Voltron? No, no, no. The guy with the jewelry that lets him create whatever he wants. Ah, Green Lantern, nice. Close. No, this guy has cosmic awareness. Captain Marvel? Almost. I mean, Quasar! Ah, Quasar. Who doesn't love a good Quasar? 
Tune in to the Quantum Cast, covering all things Quasar. Yes, that's right. You can find us at quantumbands.blogspot.com. And on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. Yeah, that, that didn't sound scripted at all, did it? It's time for What's Up, when we talk about other things going on outside the world of Trek. First off, we just want to mention that back when we recorded the Gross Point Blank episode for the Film and Water podcast with Rob Kelly, we had the pleasure to also record a little Hostess Fruit Pie ad at the same time. Rob was so gracious, letting the two of us play Aquaman and Mira. It was a fun little commercial to record, and it popped up when we were listening to the Fire and Water podcast episode number 163 from May 1st. That coincidentally is the episode where they cover the first two issues of JLA Year One as part of the JL May crossover event. So we encourage you to listen to that episode for the excellent coverage of JLA Year One, and while you're listening, you can hear our little Hostess Fruit Pie ad. Next, we had a little bit of a disappointment when a favorite local event of ours came to an abrupt end. Lots of cities have First Friday events, and Raleigh is one of those. It's a time when the city encourages businesses that are located downtown to stay open late on the first Friday of each month to give residents a chance to enjoy the downtown atmosphere instead of just staying out in the suburbs. It's a nice opportunity to visit restaurants, museums, and galleries that normally only cater to the weekday crowd that works downtown. One of our favorite First Friday activities has long been held at the Natural Science Museum. It's already a favorite museum of ours, and on the first Friday each month, the museum would stay open late, allowing patrons to meander around the museum, and they would also have special movie screenings in their digital theater. Normally, the museum shows documentaries in that theater, but on the first Friday of each month, they would show a mixture of classic science fiction films or campy horror movies, like you might see on Mystery Science Theater or Elvira's Movie Macabre. While we didn't go every month, we attended frequently and always had a great time seeing a great genre film or laughing along with the rest of the audience at one of the campy classics. Sadly, when we checked the museum website to see what was playing for this first Friday movie in May, we were disappointed to see an announcement that after 15 years of participating in the First Friday activities, that screening would be the final time the museum would stay open late for First Friday. So no more great sci-fi films, no more campy horror classics, no more meandering around the museum and looking at dinosaur skeletons on a Friday night. Very sad. On the brighter side, we do have another favorite local event coming up later in May, and that's Animazement. It's a local Japanese anime and manga convention that has been here in Raleigh for nearly 20 years, and we've been attending it from nearly the beginning when it was held in just a few rooms at an area hotel. The convention has now grown to more than 12,000 attendees and fills the beautiful Raleigh Convention Center each Memorial Day weekend. We've attended many anime and manga conventions over the years, including the large Anime Expo when we used to live in Southern California and the excellent Otakon held in Baltimore, Maryland but we feel particularly grateful to have a convention as nice as Animazement here in our hometown. The convention has all of the typical events you expect with an anime convention, including discussion panels, workshops, cosplay competitions, gaming tournaments, artist alley, and a large dealer's room. Plus, what's unique about Animazement is that it also puts a significant focus on Japanese culture that we always appreciate. Cultural panels can include anything from kendo demonstrations to how to trim bonsai trees, to the correct way to wear kimono, cooking demonstrations, and traditional Japanese arts and crafts. They also regularly bring in both pop music guests as well as traditional music guests from Japan. You've heard us talk before about our love of Japanese taiko drums, and most years we get another opportunity to hear taiko drums at this convention, either performed by the local Triangle Taiko group or from a visiting group. 
The convention has brought in amazing guests in the past, including award-winning taiko drum performers, as well as shamisen performers, which is a traditional Japanese stringed instrument. It's always great. So we have that wonderful event to look forward to later this month. And speaking of great music, we were actually treated to a terrific show just last night. Some of the local malls and shopping centers have concerts on the weekends during the summer, and one of those centers is near us. Just last night was one of their summer concerts, and the featured musical guests were the band Joe Hero, which just happens to include our good friend Scott Hardesty, along with Link Butler, Ryan Terrell, and Daniel Miles. The group is a Foo Fighters tribute band, and they also do their own original songs during their sets as well. It was a beautiful night filled with fantastic music, and the audience thoroughly enjoyed it. The group's most popular original song is titled Just Like Bruce Campbell Did. And who wouldn't like a song about Bruce Campbell? I know most people know him from the Evil Dead movies or the recent Ash vs. the Evil Dead TV series. I certainly know from their Twitter activity that both John Baker and Ruth Reese are fans. And of course, there are great comedy movies like Bubba Hotep or My Name is Bruce. And while we enjoy all those movies and shows, there are three other shows that feature our favorite Bruce Campbell roles. And those would be his frequent guest appearances as Autolycus in Xena Warrior Princess and his starring roles in the excellent retro sci-fi western Briscoe County Jr., which we happen to know is a favorite of Brian Mulvey, as well as his comedy adventure series Jack of All Trades, where he played a parody version of Zorro. And Joe Hero perfectly captures the spirit of Bruce Campbell in their fun song. So visit Joe Hero at ReverbNation.com slash Joe Hero or at Facebook.com slash Joe Hero Band. Plus, they have a couple of albums available on both iTunes and at Amazon Music. We'll be sure to include links to their sites in our show notes so you can check them out. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, be sure to stay tuned at the very end of our episode for a special musical treat. Before we go, we want to provide our contact information. Please let us know your thoughts through email, Facebook, or Twitter. Also, if you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. Every review helps the show be more likely to show up in search results to help get the show noticed and perhaps attract more listeners to Grow Trek or Fandom. And please consider subscribing to the show so you always know when there's a new episode. We'd love to hear from you. So if you want to contact us directly, send us an email at trekkertalk at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr using the name TrekkerTalk. And you can always visit trekkertalk.com for links to all of our social media pages. Please use the hashtag TrekkerComic and hashtag TrekkerTalk in your messages to help other fans find and follow the conversations. For those of you interested in the music that Ron Randall listens to while working on Trekker, he uses the hashtag Trekker Soundtrack. Remember, at TrekkerComic.com, you'll find a new page every Monday, as well as links to all of the ways you can find Ron Randall. And he often responds to posts on his Facebook page and on his Patreon site. So post to his pages and let him and other fans know what you think of his new Trekker pages. As we mentioned in our What's Up section, we have a special musical treat from the great local band Joe Hero featuring Link Butler on guitar and vocals, Daniel Miles on guitar, Ryan Terrell on bass, and Scott Hardesty on drums and vocals. So closing out our show today is the fantastic song, Just Like Bruce Campbell Did. Enjoy. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll come back next month for another new episode of Trekker Talk.
just like Bruce Campbell did. Just like Bruce Campbell did. Just like Bruce Campbell did. Bruce Campbell did Just like 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 Bruce Campbell did Campbell did. Sound effects. We make no money for this podcast, and no copyright infringement is intended.